Hey, this is John from pureandsimplebible.com. Welcome back to the show. Grateful once again for your presence and for the opportunity to have a Bible study conversation with somebody about a very powerful topic. And this week we are talking again about the final week of Jesus' life. Shahe Jurgen is with me. We are wrapping up this very long conversation from all four Gospels, making this chronological look at the final week of Jesus on earth. What an amazing ride it's been, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Let's jump right in, shall we? Darkness. Yeah, when darkness reigns. Yes. Now, there's some other very significant events oh, that so happen in this moment. Oh, so many, yeah. It's almost a tragedy to go past it. Is, it is, it is. But we, I know we but, must press forward, yes. <laughs> so. In, in the in cinematic versions of what happens next, yeah. So he just goes to trial. That's right. But in so, the, in the Bible, there's actually six trials. Six different trials. So, so Jesus allows the mob to arrest him. The disciples flee. They forsake him and flee. Matthew's gospel says, and y- you can imagine now it's maybe one or two o'clock in the morning. Jesus is taken to six different trials. So first he's taken to Annas, who is the father-in-law of the high priest. Then he's taken to Caiaphas, who is the high priest. Right. Then they take him to the Sanhedrin. And by the way, while all of this is happening, Peter is outside denying the Lord. Uh-huh. Okay. So they take him to the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Sanhedrin passes its sentence of condemnation, and they send him to Pilate. Now, Pilate wants to find a way out of this. Right. When he finds out that Jesus is from Galilee, he says, ah, I've got it. I'm going to send you to Herod. Uh-huh. You're his problem. Another jurisdiction. Yes, yes. I'm gonna, yes, there's a jurisdictional matter here. <laughs> Uh, Herod wants him to perform some show, uh, perform a show, perform some miracles. He wants to see some tricks. When Jesus will not acquiesce to that, he sends him back to Pilate. Is this Herod, this may not make the cut, is this Herod the grandson of Herod the Great? Yes, yeah, this would have been Herod, uh, is this Herod Agrippa, I think. Well, what's fascinating is that, you know, Jesus is interacting again with this family whose grandfather tried to have him murdered as a baby. That's right, that's exactly right. And now here's his grandson, Herod the Great, you know, historically, was just such a, a terrible, terrible oh, a tyrant to his family, but also to his nation. Yeah. And then his his grandson here is is really just asking for circus tricks. Yeah, that's right. You know, that's it's, exactly right. It's yeah. pathetic. So Herod is is done with all this. He sends him back to Pilate. A Pilate is, is a, a a case study in and of himself. He doesn't want to do what the Jews are pressuring him to do. He's right. reluctant, but yet on the other hand, he's a, a politician. So he does what's politically expedient for him in this moment. Right. And it also says that during this time when he's making his decision that he's uh, quite cruel. Oh, yes. Through his soldiers to Jesus. What exactly happens? Yes, during no that doubt part about it. This? So it seems like Pilate is trying to find a way to get out of killing this man, to get out of killing Jesus. So he's going to be merciful. In a sense, but the way he's going to try to accomplish that is to still attempt to satiate the bloodlust of the Jews. Oh, my. So you can imagine now it's maybe 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. This okay. has been, all this has been going on all night. And now we maybe have a better understanding of why Jesus needed that day of rest on Wednesday. Okay, okay. So uh, it's 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. Pilate says, you know what I'll do? I'll scourge him. Mm. And maybe if I do that, that'll be good enough, and we can just send everybody home and be done with this matter. Now, scourging, of course, 
was a, a terrible, excruciating. Jesus has already endured some physical punishment, by the way. Right. The uh, personal bodyguards of the high priest had blindfolded him mm-hmm. and slapped him and said, oh, prophesy, which one of us had slapped you? Mm-hmm. So he's been roughed up already at this point, and now he goes to the scourging. And uh, the scourging was that the these Roman professionals, they would take a, a whip, they would entwine the ends of the whip with maybe shards of glass right. or metal. Right. Uh, and basically, it was more of a raking mm-hmm. than, a, than a whip because the whatever the shards were at the end of this cord uh, would be embedded into the top of, a, of the victim's back and then the cord would be yanked down. Mm. And so the, the backside of an individual would just be flayed open. Uh, in fact, there's a prophecy in the book of Isaiah that talks about the fact that Jesus would be marred beyond recognition. That right. by the time they were done with him, you almost would not be able to recognize who he was. Mm. So, of course, this was the time also that one of these sick and demented uh, tormentors and torturers went out and found some thorns fashioned into a crown and, and pressed it into his brow. They took a reed and struck him. They put on a, a robe on him and mocked him, um, taunting him and his claims to be a king. Right. And Pilate, Pilate brings him out and just yes. simply says, behold the behold man. Behold the man. Oh. Hoping that, like you said earlier, maybe that's going to yes. be the merciful yeah. action that's going to keep yeah. this person alive. But it, it doesn't. It right. doesn't satisfy them. And right. so they call for his crucifixion. And the crowd does too. Absolutely, It's not yes. just the priests. They've the, stirred up the crowd. They have. Maybe some people from one week prior. Yes, that they've convinced the crowd, they've convinced the people that Jesus is bad for them, mm-hmm. that Jesus will bring the ire of Rome, right? or that Jesus wants to destroy the temple. This was one of the accusations they levied against him. That's a good point. He wants to, he wants to upend our way of life. He is against Moses. He's against the law. He's against the traditions of our fathers. And they're so blind that they want Barabbas to be released. <laughs> A guy who is convicted as a murderer, that's right, a thief, a yeah. rioter. You know, he is a he's a bad guy. Yeah. And so Pilate makes this offer. He says it's customary during this time for mm-hmm. me to release a prisoner to you. Here are your options: <laughs> a known murderer, or this man, a preacher, <laughs> who I can find no fault right. in him. Right. And they opt for Barabbas mm-hmm. to once again mingle among the people. And there's and, implications in their statement, let his blood be upon us and on our children. Yeah. There's been so many times we've had to, to press on past them, but that statement yes. comes true. Yes, unbelievable. They uh, make this profession that in just a few decades will come back in great judgment mm-hmm. upon them. In fact, we have a, a an incredible allusion to that just in this event. I'm always amazed at the Lord's ability to leverage a teachable moment. (laughs) So we we know what happens after this. Pilate finally passes the death sentence, and now it's maybe about six o'clock in the morning, and uh, Jesus is conscripted to carry his cross. He uh, is going to be taken outside of the city gate to a, a place where it was customary for them to uh, to do these kinds of crucifixion executions. He buckles under the weight of this heavy wooden object. A Cyrenian man named Siren is 
Simon is conscripted to, to help him. Mm-hmm. But when Jesus maybe gets to about the, the side of the city gates, he encounters a group of women who are crying. We're not really told why they're weeping. Maybe they're weeping because of just the, the inhumanity of all of this. Right. Maybe they are disciples and they're just waking up. They don't know everything that's happened the night before, overnight. They're waking up to a new day to find that their Lord, who just a few days ago had been enamoring the crowds, mm-hmm. is now being marched out, mm-hmm. bloodied beyond recognition. Right. So these women are weeping, and Jesus makes this un- unbelievable statement. He says, no, your tears are misplaced. Don't weep for me. Mm-hmm. Weep for Jerusalem. Right. As he had just done two days ago, three days ago. Weep for Jerusalem because judgment is coming upon Zion. I want to take what you're saying here. Uh, he, he finds a teachable moment even in the times when normal humans would, you know, yes. be focusing on themselves. He's focusing on others. In and your, that's going to climax here in just a moment right, to the, a greater extent. That, that, that was the, in your notes, the point you make there is that when Jesus is actually nailed to the cross, it's nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah. He's nailed to the cross. What's not emphasized is his physical suffering, but rather the statements that he makes and the interactions he has while he's dying. Yeah. Talk to us about that for a little bit. Well, so let me just say there's obviously there's no doubt Jesus endured unimaginable physical suffering. But what I'm compelled by is the fact that the gospel writers almost never discuss that. Right. They never, they, of course, they mention the beating and the scourging. And obviously, we know from historical accounts how unbelievable, how excruciating. The word excruciating comes mm-hmm. from the Latin word for crucifixion. We know of the physical toll this would have taken. But the gospel writers don't want us, it seems, to focus on that. Right. They want us to focus on Jesus and what he is teaching in mm-hmm. this moment. So mm-hmm. there are seven sayings from the cross, Okay, all of them profound. The first and the last are both prayers. Hmm. So as Jesus is being hoisted on this cross, the first thing he says is, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Mm. And the New American Standard does a better job than the Old King James and the New King James in helping us to understand the verb tense in the Greek. Jesus didn't say this one time. He was continually praying it. Oh. So it's, it's not Jesus said, it's Jesus was saying over and over. I'm thinking about a passage in Romans chapter 12 where it talks about... Uh, Christians are not supposed to be trying to seek vengeance. Oh, God, yeah. God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And we are supposed to uh, rather treat our enemies fairly or, or very well. Where if they're hungry, we feed them. If they're thirsty, we give them something to drink. For in doing so, we're heaping, as the Scripture says, burning coals on their head. Yeah. And so I imagine as Jesus is saying that phrase of, Father, forgive them, continually, that they emotionally are feeling the coals of this innocent man who is continually asking for their forgiveness. Right. That's incredible. The Lord Jesus never asked, asks us to do anything he was not willing to do himself. Right. 
you know, you think about um, that Jesus taught that his kingdom would be nonviolent. He told Pilate that uh, if my kingdom was like the kingdoms of the world, my servants would be fighting. They'd be taking arms and they'd be in the streets right now right. so that I would not be here right. delivered to the Jews. Right. And Jesus lived that nonviolent example mm. when he was taken to the cross. But another thing Jesus exemplifies here at the cross is something that he taught three over three years earlier in his initial uh, sermon, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and that is the importance of forgiveness mm -hmm. in the life of a Christian. Jesus right. would make that statement, if your brother has something against you, you leave your gift behind at the altar, right? And you go and you reconcile with your brother. Mm -hmm. Then you can come and offer your gift. Mm -hmm. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, one of the things Jesus said to pray for, in addition to praying for daily food, so we know this is a daily prayer, right? Is to pray, "Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive right. others." Jesus teaches that you cannot expect or even hope for God's forgiveness if you will not forgive others. You know, each of these seven sayings on the cross, a book could be written about it. About right? every one. I don't, I don't think it's a stretch to say, you know, whenever John says at the end of, the, of his epistle that if, if every act of Jesus was mentioned, that yeah. the world couldn't contain the pages, you know, of the things that were written about him. I, I, we have to hasten on. Yeah, yeah. So very quickly, these seven sayings. Sure. So Jesus starts with the prayer of forgiveness. Uh-huh. Then he, while he's looking over the audience, he sees his mother. Mm -hmm. and he makes that statement to John, behold your mother and woman, behold statement. your son. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. uh, then later we have the, the penitent thief on the cross who's told right. by Jesus, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Mm -hmm. We have the statement, I thirst, as the, uh, the crucifixion is coming to its near its end. We have the statement from Jesus, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken right. me? Right, we talked about that yes. earlier. The... We have the statement, it is finished. Uh -huh. Tetelestai is the Greek word. It is finished, it is accomplished or paid in full. Right. Some translations right. could render Fulfilled. it. Fulfilled. And then he ends with the prayer when he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So mm -hmm. seven sayings which are bookended by these incredible prayers. Uh, six hours from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Jesus is on the cross, mm. and at 3 p.m., the, the Bible says he breathes his last. So in that moment, um, some disciples, some noble disciples, by the way, none of whom are the apostles. The apostles are right. all out of the picture at this they're, point. They're hiding right yes. now. Yes, but we've got to Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, and some of the women. Well, wasn't John at the cross? John was at the cross, but he was not involved in the burial. Uh-huh. So it was Joseph who it says took courage before Pilate to ask for the body of okay, Jesus. Okay. And Nicodemus, who brought the spices. Right. And the women right, right. who came to assist Mary, the mother of Joseph, and Mary Magdalene. Now, they only had a couple hours. That's right, because the Sabbath starts uh, when the sun goes down on Friday okay, evening. Okay, so this is going to be a rush. So we're Friday, barrier. we're 3 p.m. They've got a couple hours to take down the body of the Lord, mm -hmm. to wrap it, which was their custom, pack it with the spices that Nicodemus provided, and take it to the nearby garden tomb. Now, this is important because the women who are there see the tomb. Right. They know its location. Okay. They know where Jesus' body is laid. And after the Sabbath weekend is over, when they're going to return, they know the exact spot to come to to finish the job. 
So they bury Jesus as best they can hurriedly on mm-hmm. Friday afternoon, right. and then everybody disperses. Saturday, Jesus spends his day in the tomb, and it's early on Sunday morning when a group of women led by Mary Magdalene returned to the same spot they'd been to just a couple days prior right. to finish the job. That's what they're going to do. Now, after Jesus was buried, we know what happened. Uh, the Jews asked for a guard from Pilate. They mm-hmm. set this huge stone. Mm-hmm. In fact, when the women are on their way to the tomb, they're talking to themselves, how are we going to get in? <laughs> you know, evidently they hadn't thought that through, right. or, but they were just thinking about it. Wait a minute, they put that huge stone there. How are we going to get inside? What great faith, though, that that didn't stop them from coming. Absolutely. You know, they're going to find a way. Yeah. Whether, yeah, however, yeah. The, however it's going to happen, they're going to find a way. In your notes, you mentioned that there's several great themes in this resurrection account, what themes do we see here whenever they arrive at the tomb? Yeah, so uh, so f- we have, of course, we have four gospels who give us four different vantage points of the uh, resurrection and the post-resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And putting all these together can sometimes be a little bit tricky to figure out the exact process, but there are a few things that all the records inform us. Number one, that it happened on Sunday. Right. All four Gospels attest that this was the first day of the week. First of the Sabbath, That's right? right. It was in the Greek. That's right. Uh, number two, that it was a group of women who set out for the tomb. Mm-hmm. Number three, that angels delivered a proclamation of his resurrection. Right. Number four, the tomb was empty. Mm-hmm. Where, the Je- where, where the body of Jesus should have been, it was not. Right. And all of the disciples thought that something nefarious had happened. Mm. None of them <laughs> expected that Jesus would have been raised. In fact, when some of them first saw Jesus, right. they thought he was a ghost right. or they thought he was a gardener. Right. Mary did. Now, Mary, Mary's case may have just been that her eyes were filled with tears and she was so upset emotionally that she mm-hmm. didn't recognize Jesus at first. And that's another beautiful dramatic, incredible exchange between Mary and Jesus. Mary gets to be the first disciple to see the risen Lord. And and how powerful and and empowering to women this must have been in a time when the credibility and testimony of women was widely disregarded. Mm -hmm. It's not Peter. It's not John. It's not Joseph or Nicodemus who were powerful and influential men among the Jews. It is Mary who had been possessed of demons, Mm -hmm. out of whom Jesus had cast seven demons. Mm -hmm. It is Mary who loved Jesus maybe more than anyone. She was the first one there early in the morning to honor her king. She's upset because they've defiled his tomb. They've shamed him to the last, even doing something with his body. Right. And she gets to see Jesus. Wow. And it's a beautiful exchange when... Uh, she doesn't recognize him at first, and he says those simple words, Mary. Mm-hmm. And she says, Rabboni, teacher, my teacher. And so it's a beautiful encounter between Jesus and the Lord. And then the, the Gospels all go on to tell us, in addition to 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus appeared uh, to hundreds and hundreds of disciples mm-hmm. on that day and on subsequent appearances over a 40-day period, so that when Peter and the Twelve stand up on the day of Pentecost, 50 days from this time. Right. They can uh, uh, testify that they have seen the risen Lord, that Jesus fulfills messianic prophecy, 
that Jesus was attested by God himself through the mm-hmm. working of signs, wonders, and miracles, mm-hmm. and that we saw his risen body. Mm-hmm. We saw Jesus had come out of that tomb. Right. He walked among us. He spoke to us. He ate in our presence, and we saw him go up, ascend into heaven to be enthroned at the right hand of God. That's such a powerful evidence or proof that Paul would use it with Gentiles. That's right. You know, in Acts 17, he's he's not even speaking with Jews. He's talking to people who don't even share the same worldview or authority of uh, what God's law might be, etc. And he's able to prove to them that Jesus is the Christ based on his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul encapsulates the core of the gospel message, he uses four verbs that Christ died, mm-hmm. was buried, right. rose, and appeared ah. to many. So those four verbs, sometimes we just use the first three, but I think the fourth is equally important. It's right. certainly important in the grammatical structure of those verses. Mm-hmm. So Christ died, buried, rose, appeared. And P- Paul names people who were still alive right. when 1 Corinthians was written. 1 Corinthians, by the way, likely written before any of the Gospels. 1 Corinthians 15 is probably the earliest uh, account of the resurrection that was ever written when Paul basically says, this is what all Christians believe about the resurrection. Because when he writes 1 Corinthians 15, he's reminding the Corinthians of the gospel they'd already accepted. Right. This is what you believed right. when I came to <laughs> Corinth years ago uh-huh. to preach to you. Uh-huh. This is where your faith started. Mm-hmm. So Paul, in a sense, when he names people who saw the risen Lord, challenges them to say, you don't believe me? Go talk to people. There are hundreds <laughs> of them out there right. who can attest to right. what I have taught you, right. that Christ rose from the dead appeared to many, myself included, as one born out of due time. Mm -hmm. And that basic, foundational, fundamental, core teaching of the gospel is the rock-solid foundation of the faith of now thousands and thousands growing every day of believers all over the Roman Empire. We have that great statement in the book of Acts that even some of the priests were obedient Now, what could have caused priests who knew the law of Moses and knew that the book of Deuteronomy said, anyone who hangs on a tree is accursed of God? Mm. What could convince them that Jesus was not a curse? Well, only the resurrection could have been a powerful enough evidence to sway those doctors of the law. That's right. That Jesus must be the Son of God because God raised him from the dead. When, when I think about this, you know, we, we've been able to have this conversation in real time. Uh, people may be listening to this across several uh, opportunities. Maybe they don't have the, the time to sit down and listen to it all at once. But having taken the past hour and uh, about 20 minutes, um, it's amazing how powerful this final week is of Jesus. Yes, It's amazing how relevant it is to my life. There's so many times that I have just felt emotionally connected, convicted, I felt convicted in this this hour that we've had together as well. The, the truth is able to do some powerful things whenever we take the time to consider it. I'm wondering if maybe you have a final thought to leave us with before sure. we finish this episode. Well, thank you so much again for allowing me this opportunity uh, to talk about, obviously, what 
gives me the most passion <laughs> and, and fervor in life. And uh, I think that it's just so important for Christians to have a view of the Bible. It's not just a, that it's a book filled with rules or do's and don'ts. It's just a, a religious tome because the Bible is so much more than that. Amen. And the Bible, when properly understood and internalized, will give you a, a, a sense of joy and satisfaction mm-hmm. and contentment in life that would never be possible otherwise. Right. right. And so when we understand the whole message of the Bible as focusing centrally and most importantly of all on Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. then we understand that Jesus lived on this earth for about 33 years, but his whole 33 years was moving in a singular direction towards a climactic moment in time. Mm. Eight days that are immortalized through the gospel record when Jesus would return to the city of Zion, the holy city of David, Jerusalem, to give his life, as Paul says, a ransom for many. Amen. So when we look at the life of Christ and we look at its most important scenes, we see the drama, we see that the gospel writers uh, who don't come off looking very nicely in this time, right. we're not writing to embellish mm-hmm. or to self-aggrandize, mm-hmm. but to impart truth. Right. This is what we saw. This is what happened. This is why Christ did what he did and never failed to take advantage of a teachable moment to instill in us the truths of heaven that we might live like him. That's good. That's so good. Brother, before we depart, um, I'm wondering if you'd like to say a word about ChristianLandmark.com. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Yes, I would love to. So ChristianLandmark.com is a website that Brother Clint DeFrance started a number of years ago, Mm -hmm. and Brother Bart Shaw, who's a deacon at the Rice Road Church of Christ, where I call home. Okay. Bart Shaw and I run the platform. Several years ago, uh, Christian Landmark, for those of you who've never been there, is a, a website where we mostly publish sermons, okay. audio and visual material uh, for, for people to enjoy. But several years ago, we decided to start a new venture, which is a monthly emailed periodical. We call it Landmark Messenger. Okay. And uh, it, if you it, sign up, it comes to you by email on the 15th of every month. And over the last six months or so, I have been writing articles that have focused on what we've been talking about in this podcast, on the events of the final week, and trying to put a chronology together for people to enjoy and to learn mm-hmm. about this great, important, monumental time period in the life of Christ. So if you'd like to read these, we, tr- we try to keep them interesting and, uh, and hopefully not too long that it's overwhelming for people. Um, but if you, if you like to read and you want to study more about this, you can go to christianlandmark.com. And right there on the main page, you'll see a a place to sign up for Landmark Messenger. You just plug in your email, and we'll do the rest, and you can start enjoying those. If you would like some of the past issues, I can certainly get those to you. You can just contact me for those. Okay. I, and I'll just share with our audience that I use Christian Landmark as one of my resources. You know, it's time to do a Bible study. You It's a great place to go and, and just search to see if other brethren have already studied it out. I mean, a lot of times we don't need to reinvent the wheel. If somebody's got some good material on a subject, it's good to hear what they have to say, consider those scriptures, and utilize them. Absolutely. So I want to share that 
uh, reference for those out there. Bookmark that page and use it. Well, thank you, brother, very much for coming on. Very grateful for your work. God bless you in the future as you continue to serve him. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. I want to say thank you once again to Shahe for the work that he's done in this, putting so many resources together for the website christianlandmark.com, as well as his inspiring work that he does, both with his home congregation in the state of Missouri and the congregations that he goes to help in other countries. Shahe is an evangelist who I admire, I respect, and I'm thankful to be a co-laborer with him in the vineyard of the Lord. Thank you, brother. And for those of you who are first-timers, and maybe this is uh, the first series you've listened to, I want to encourage you, please go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, to look at all of the resources that are available for you to use. I'm intending to put these into your hands so that you can use them to share the gospel with others, edify others, and be edified yourself. Check it out. Until next time, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.